Manufacturer Podcast. Today, the wonders of the cloud. We look at how cloud manufacturing platforms are being used. One such case is at the British Vault Gigafactory in Northumberland, where the current and future innovations in electric vehicle manufacturing and technology is in full swing. Your favourite editorial team return to discuss all that and more in today's episode. Bonjour, listener. We're plodding along with our tech series, and we are on episode three. And we're back to three. Tom, Joe, and Lana. TJL, the trio. Three bastards. She's back. She is back, yeah. And I mean, you know, so what was the issue last week then? I was very ill, and I had such a sore throat that I literally couldn't speak, so you wouldn't have wanted me. Not good enough. I'm sorry, but I'm back now. <laughs> That's the main thing. Feeling back. better, mate? You feel, feeling all seriousness, feel, feeling better? I am actually feeling better now, but it has yeah. taken literally like a full week. So mm. I don't know if I had COVID or not. Not that you've been dramatic about it or anything. No, uh, being dramatic is, is not like me at all. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Our main interview of the episode is one we did at Mac, actually, the Mac show in Birmingham earlier in the year. Remember that? It's the story of British Vault and their Gigafactory up in Northumberland. This is a project that puts the development of current and future generation UK battery technologies front and centre, top of the list. While this is, of course, basically more of an environmentally focused story, you could argue, uh, the industry cloud company Infor explained to us the importance of their cloud suite automotive program to manage for business operations at the 3.8 billion pound a giga plant in the northeast this has got to be one of the best stories in manufacturing at the moment right joe i know it's one that you're interested in yeah well we've it's, we've we've uh, not for the first time covered uh, uh, you know news around the british vault site up in up in the, up the north there but um yeah it's a great it's a great story really innovative so, uh, site it'd be nice to get up there at some point but uh, mm. it's a, it'd, be a, it'd be a long tre- trek but it's a, it's a great uk manufacturing story for sure long trek but we're used to that eh, gang we are we are indeed intrepid and- is, is what we are Indeed we are. Andrew Kinder certainly shares our sentiments about it being a fantastic story. He leads the industry strategy team for Infor globally. And David Therrellfall is the proud CIO of British Vault. So both explain more about this exciting project. As well as building buildings, we're building uh, IT infrastructure and business processes. So... We're very keen that we we didn't look in isolation on just just ERP solution. Uh, it had to fit in with our whole enterprise architecture. Um, so, you know, through the six month selection period um, that we uh, that we embarked on, <coughs> um, we found that um, Infor ticked a lot of boxes in terms of the cloud solution. So this was a solution that's actually built in cloud, multi tenanted cloud solution. So not simply built outside of the cloud and migrated in. Um, and the fact that uh, Infor uh, comes with out-of-the-box business processes, really key for us, right? We have no legacy. So we had to make sure we were, we were building and driving efficient processes from day one. 
I don't think there's a more exciting project actually taking place in the UK right now. I mean, it's a, you know, it ticks every box, doesn't it? It's got smart manufacturing in there. It's got sustainability in there. It's right at the heart of EV. Um, why Info? Um, I think um, I think David made made his points clear in terms of why Info. He he was looking for a number of things. He wanted technology that would bring smart intelligence to his manufacturing operation, and for him. That's a combination of ERP, MES, and PLM. I mean, I think he said they were going to take several ter terabits per hour. So, you know, he needs uh, the facilities to be able to analyze that and, and bring some intelligence out of that. And then the second thing I thought was really important, he said he was looking for the right um, company with the right culture who will take them from, you know, kind of startup to scale up. And, uh, and I think he's signing in for uh, the capabilities of a, of a company he could work with to do that. So we were very proud of that. He only looked at cloud solutions. Uh, and one of the reasons is when you're scaling up a business, you're not going to go in with a very, very large IT team. You see, so you really want a lean IT team and you want to be able to learn with it. Secondly, they, they know from the off that they really want standardized processes, industry-specific processes. And when you have a cloud solution like ours, you get the processes as built as part of the solution, but you also get the cloud capability, which means you know, no mods, Take the, always up to date, um, you can focus on your business and let the system take care of itself. We are embedding what we call the digital DNA in British Vault and uh, the Info ecosystem plays a large part into that and you know um, as well as automation and machine learning uh, and AI we also have a really strong ESG agenda at British Vault um, so the selection of the technology has to be able to enable um, our ESG agenda. Um, so from an ERP perspective, it's uh, can we trace our um, traceability of products uh, from what we call cradle to cradle, um, you know, the whole circular economy. But also, you know, the technology that is available in Info, the whole Amazon um, suite of uh, technology, for instance, um, Alexa voice recognition, right? We are looking to be able to, to tap into that. That will open up job opportunities for somebody who might have, um, you know, physical disability or, um, you know, so m making roles available that could might have been an issue previously. Um, so that's always on our uh, always on our agenda. The work is very much underway to stop churning out petrol and diesel cars. I mean, let's not forget there'll be a, a ban on any new petrol or diesel vehicle by 2030. Do we currently have the infrastructure in the UK to meet that demand? I think it's predicted that we'll have, or forecasted that we'll have, is it eight gigafactories here in the UK? Is that enough to meet the demand? Market estimates that by 2030, uh, to satisfy what we believe is uh, electric vehicles only demand, is around about 90 uh, gigawatts. Um, British Vault by the end of the first, end of the fourth phase, I, I beg your pardon, uh, we're looking to uh, produce around 40, uh, 43 gigawatts. So it's a quite a high percentage of that. In terms of the infrastructure, um, you know, it really needs to be accelerated. There needs to be one gigafactory is just not enough. Um, uh, but in terms of infrastructure <coughs> within the UK, we're really lucky that the UK has, if not one of the, the best um, infrastructure in terms of battery innovation. Yeah, think about UK Battery in Industrialization Centre and Warwick University. Uh, so we can tap into a lot of that uh, expertise and, uh, and R&D. Well, Andrew and David were brilliantly insightful and passionate about this Gigafactory project, which puts the squeeze, doesn't it, on petrol and diesel 
car owners. That needs to happen. But guys, I can't afford an electric car. I don't know about you. No, I, I certainly <laughs> can't either. Um, but it's obviously no secret that second-hand car sales have risen this year due to the shortage of semiconductors yeah. and all the other electronic components. But this has apparently been boosted by a really sharp increase in the number of used electric vehicles on the market. And according to the BBC, sales of used cars in the UK rose 5.1% between January and March compared to the same three months last year. But the market for electric cars, which obviously only makes up quite a small percentage of the overall second-hand market, yeah. has more than doubled in size, which is pretty interesting. Um, and apparently, according to the BBC article, it said that consumers appeared keen to snap up more environmentally friendly cars where possible. But... I want to know who these consumers are because your average person doesn't have one of these yet. And like everyone I know owns a car, mm. but I can't think of one single person that has an EV. Well, yeah. Well, nor can I, and I've got loads of friends. So, and so, so, so I don't know who these people are. It, it, it's an interesting one, isn't it? I mean, Joe, y your car's a fuel guzzler, isn't it? By, by the looks of it. Um, well, you've, you've named and shamed me there a bit, haven't you? To keep on trend, as, as Lana mentioned, I am looking to sell it. So, so nice. yeah. but, um, but will you be getting an EV? Well, I don't know about that. I don't know about that. But I think it's, I think there's sort of two points to pick up on there. Is that the first is, um, and again, not for the first time on this podcast i'm going to be betraying my age to my my fellow colleagues here is, is that you know when you look at the history of, of of sort of technology as it's breaking through it's always cost prohibitive in the in the early stages you know you go back to the 1980s and the introduction of the mobile phone it was inconceivable that one day everyone would own a mobile phone as yeah as you know a, you know a, pre a prerequisite it really was the domain of the of the 0.1% of the elite of the country. And, uh, but, but as sort of technology becomes more ubiquitous, it, the, you know, the cost slowly comes down and um, it becomes more available to the masses. And then second to that is the fact that, you know, consumers now are m becoming much more driven by um, sustainability in their yeah, yeah. purchasing choices. So that's, it's going to become more of a, more and more of a factor when, when um, people select their cars of the future, for, for sure. And it's interesting we should bring this up because in the very next issue of the magazine, we're going to be featuring an article that touches on on UK research and innovations driving the electric, the electric revolution challenge, which will be investing £80 million in electrification technologies, uh, which include power electronics, electric machines and drives. Um, the investment will look to support the UK's push towards a net zero carbon economy and, and contribute to the development of, of clean technology supply chains. And, and a key component of that challenge is, is of course, next, gen, next generation electric vehicles. That's an interesting one to so check out. Check out the next issue of the magazine for, for more info on that one. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And that sounds like a good one. It's one of the issues with EV cars at the moment, from what I'm hearing, is that you can't do a particular, particularly long distance in them without having to stop for half an hour and recharge them. You know, this Gigafactory up in the northeast, it's for current and future generation battery vehicles. So the technology is going to evolve, isn't it? Much like the mobile phone did. And once it's bought out to the masses, you know, it will be consumer friendly, but it will 
you would imagine, um, create an environment where EV cars are affordable and practical to use for the general consumer. You know, when we do our factory visits up to these ridiculous places <laughs> up north, down south, if we have an EV vehicle in the next sort of 10 years, it will be fit for purpose and it will be affordable and it will be able to do long journeys. That's what we've got to remember about this project, isn't it? It's very much in its infancy. It's an evolving industry, isn't it? Mm. Uh, well, yeah, and as you say, Tom, the, the, the technology will evolve to make it more um, more cost-effective and more practical for people. You, you can go going back to the mobile phone analogy. Those those early early days of the mobile phones, you know, for those that remember, they were about the size of you know the size and weight of a brick. And you, yeah, tell us, Joe. We, we we yeah, we don't remember actually, mate. Yeah, please do tell us. Yeah. <laughs> well, vaguely, I remember. Vaguely, I remember these 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 monoliths being brought out that we yeah they're about the size of i don't know they were about this perhaps because i was young and you know everything seemed bigger but they, they were about the size of a shoebox um and uh about the, you know and they were heavy and you need a battery pack the size of a suitcase to carry it around with it so it was you know it was a mobile phone in in name only really it was it was very <laughs> they were very very impractical um you could only call about you know three people before the battery ran out um they were horrendously expensive both to buy and to call anyone from um so yeah you, you know you look at the infancy of that particular technology now of course they're you know they're 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 phones in name only you know they're they're, mm -hmm. they're mobile computers that are in our pocket the, you know the, the last thing we tend to use them for is actually to make phone calls on where they we use them for all sorts of different things so that's that's just the highlight highlight of the evolution of that technology in you know in 20 years or so so where the evolution of electric vehicles and the, and the battery technology that goes behind driving them uh, yeah, where knows. that's going to go in the next 20 years will be very interesting to see yeah. fractory metal fabricators up in manchester heard of them before guys because you should have done yes i definitely have just now or no, previously to... No, I, I remember them. Good. It's a name you can't forget. Good. Well, well, you should know them because their CEO, Martin Vares, was a finalist at last year's TMMX Awards. He was a finalist in the Young Manufacturer of the Year category. He spoke to me earlier about his nomination, about Fractory's maturity within the tech and digital space, and how they're guiding manufacturers with the help of their cloud manufacturing platform. Yep. We're coming back to the cloud. He also gives a few of the common industry misconceptions around cloud solutions as well. Let's hear what Martin had to say. First of all, given the current issues within the manufacturing sector, why do you think that digitalization is so important at this time? I think digitalization isn't uh, more important uh, than it was two years or five years ago. I think it's become uh, more obvious. I think it's 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 here to stay. It's it's mandatory almost. Uh, if you want to survive in the in the in the upcoming years, that's what you have to do. And it's not not bad. It's not something to fear, or that's not something that is sort of forced upon you. It's uh, it's there to make your life easier. It's there to use your resources, especially talent, better. And and give them more interesting jobs and and reduce the jobs that are 
uh, and there are jobs that are meaningless that are that are just there because there's there's no better way to do it but there are and and there will be and the digital adoption curve at, at Fractory, what does that look like over the last few years? Yeah, Fractory started five years ago, and uh, a lot has changed during that time. When we started, there was obviously a lot of pushback, a lot of skepticism, uh, which is natural. I mean, humans are skeptical, and, and they have to be, and it's part of the survival. But, uh, but in order to... To progress, uh, new things have to be used, and and uh, so has happened to Fractory as well. What we do, we 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 think and we believe, and and we've had the feedback that we do it well, and and I guess this has uh, increased our pickup rate exponentially over over the years. Uh, the minute that we talk here, we we are gaining new customers and new partners and new companies to work with. Well, that's fantastic to hear. And how do you ensure that upward trajectory continues uh, with technology accelerating at such speed? Our job is to is to help the manufacturing industry with digitalization. So the factory platform isn't just uh, a place where you can um, get your price and, and write an email or it's a combination of many, many different technologies. So we've taken it upon ourselves that we are the ones who, who help the industry and we combine all the good technologies together and package it nicely. So how do we keep up with it? It's a, it's a difficult job and it's uh, it's something that we have to make decisions on, on every day, but uh, that's the job we've taken and we're happy to do it. Could you just give us some of the the myths and common misconceptions that exist around cloud-based manufacturing and how are some of those myths holding businesses back in the industry do you think again the skepticism comes into play but um, you know there is uh, there is the very obvious ones like uh, cybersecurity issues and fears um, while at the same time the older systems that a lot of the companies are using uh, right now are actually less safe uh, so if we for example compare our platform where you can upload a, a CAD file and, and, and get your price straight away. Uh, people fear that that CAD file can, can go traveling and, and end up in, in places they don't want it to be. But little did, do they know that it's actually much, much safer than, than sending your files via email. Uh, with cloud manufacturing as as platform, and, and Fractory definitely isn't the only one, um, but uh, th there is the obvious fear of uh, or, or sort of skepticism of us just being a middleman and, uh, you know, taking somebody's need and, and then putting it somewhere where it can be produced and taking loads of money between. That's not the idea, actually. Our idea, as mentioned before, is to, is to help the companies distribute uh, the workload in the market more efficiently, faster, with less resources. Another one with cloud manufacturing is that uh, it's only meant for prototyping that it's uh, it's not meant for for setting up um, long-term manufacturing um, uh, orders but it's it's actually not true it works uh, just as well for um, 
for one-off parts uh, as it does for, for long-term uh, orders or projects. Uh, in Fractory, this far we have seen, I think the longest was, was two years run with, uh, with monthly de deliveries. So it's definitely available to set up uh, almost mass production with cloud manufacturing already today. Another one is that, uh, you know, since since there is a software between the two parties in the market and, and somebody is uh, is looking over the files and so on, so that all must add to a price. So the prices must be higher than, than they are um, when going straight to the manufacturer or supplier. Uh, again, not true. Uh, since we work so closely together with our uh, our partners, our manufacturing partners, uh, the prices end up often being lower because we we direct the work that the customer needs done directly to a most suitable supplier, most suitable machine, and so on. So we are making the sort of market use its resources more efficiently, and thus everybody wins on 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 price on the customer side, but also getting uh, a good ROI on their machinery on the on the supplier side. So everybody wins. Going on to your nomination for the TMMX Awards, you were, of course, a, a finalist in the Young Manufacturer of the Year category for 2021. What do you think were some of the reasons for your nomination? What attributes led you to being nominated in that category, do you think, Martin? I think the nomination was uh, actually more for Fractory as a, as a company rather than me myself because uh, everything we've done with or sort of I have done over the years is, is thanks to the people at Fractory and, and the team I have around me. But I think um, the reason why we were chosen or attracted the, the jury was that uh, we do things differently. We, we are a digital first manufacturing company in a sense. At the same time, although we are a software company, mostly um, over 70% of our employees are mechanical engineers. So we are a mix or, or a modern <laughs> manufacturing company. And uh, and also our approach to everything is a little different. The approach to company culture, the way we uh, the way we work on on a daily basis, the way we communicate, and, and so on. So I guess that's that's new, that's interesting, and that's that's what attracted. So you think the the nomination was more collective rather than individual? You you award finalists are always so modest, aren't you? <laughs> I, I refuse to believe it was entirely because of that, Martin. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I'm I'm always putting the company first, sure. so I guess that's sure. that's also the reason. Maybe <laughs> I don't know. Uh, maybe the the jury liked that I'm putting the company first, and uh, and I'm a mechanical engineer myself, and that's that's where the idea came from. Uh, I saw the problem in the industry, and I decided to solve it as as a true engineer would. So. Although I'm he heading a software company, I'm, I'm very much an engineer at heart. Before we end this episode of the podcast, listener, it would be remiss of us not to mention that this week is Mental Health Awareness Week. 
This focuses on helping people across the whole country with their mental well-being in both their personal and working lives. It doesn't exactly fall into the series of tech, but we don't care. This is our podcast. <laughs> we can pretty much do what we want. If you don't like it, then, I don't know, write a letter or something. The working landscape, I would say, guys, has certainly changed for better. In recent research from Make UK, it's revealed that businesses which prioritise the well-being of their employees see a massive reduction in absent staff members. They retain their staff for longer and they see a boost in productivity. Important stuff, guys, and something to mention, I think, isn't it, before we bring this episode to a close. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's probably never been more important for um, us to prioritise employee mental health and well-being because obviously the pandemic has had such a huge impact on everyone. And I think it has really sort of forced employers to actually provide their staff with workplace support because at the end of the day, we spend a lot of time at work. And I think I was reading earlier that um, a lot of staff absences are due to mental health reasons, but 90% of people won't say that. They they don't feel like they, they can admit that. And a lot of it is actually related to work stress. Um, so giving employees support like this will ultimately have a positive impact on the business because they can, you know, do a better job mm. at their job <laughs> mm. um, and a business that I'd like to highlight that is really working hard to implement this kind of support um, is Laura McBrown's business which is GMB Electronics whose company stayed open throughout the whole COVID crisis and they've actually developed bespoke well-being packages for their staff which have different offerings for those who were working from home during the pandemic and then something a little bit different for those who were working on site throughout, which I just thought was really amazing yeah. and something that hopefully most companies are still doing. Mm. It's been sort of eye-opening. The conversations that we, we, we have with, with the manufacturing community in the UK, it doesn't really matter what the subject is. It, it comes back to people all the time. You know, we've had... Uh, recently, we've had a round table around business resilience. We were also at the uh, industrial data summit up in up in uh, up in Birmingham a few, a few weeks ago. You know, quite different and um, different subjects and quite technical subjects, perhaps far removed from you'd think, perhaps from from people. But again, the conversation in those two individual events kept coming back to people again: the importance of people, the importance of communication, the importance of staff well-being obviously that's as Zana mentioned it, it's been pre predominantly driven by the pandemic but something that manufacturers are without a doubt concentrating very hard on post post-covid for sure and it's good to see yeah it is fantastic to see like you say it keeps coming back doesn't it people the most important part of any business you got to look mm. after them that's about all we've got time for, folks. Uh, my thanks to everyone who's participated in this episode. We love you all. We will be back next week with another episode of the Manufacturer Podcast. But until then, have yourself a pleasant weekend, listener. I'm doing nothing this weekend, actually. I don't know about you two. I can't I'm wait. I'm doing nothing, and I also oh, can't wait. Mate, it's brilliant, isn't it? <laughs> I'm doing nothing as well. You're doing nothing as well? I'm doing nothing oh. as well. We're saving because we're, saving we're going holiday the week after. 
we're going to Bruges for a long weekend. So. <laughs> enjoy your nothing weekends then, chaps. Uh, listener, enjoy your weekend as well, and we will see you next time. Goodbye. <laughs> Oh, <laughs>